Ephesians chapter 4. I hope you have your Bible with you today. Ephesians 4. Now, we haven't talked about the theme of our study as we have been going through Ephesians, but I think it's appropriate here about midway through that we mention once again the theme is, I will build my church. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. And of course, that's what we have been talking about. We've been talking about the church itself, what the church is. And now in this passage today, I've entitled this, Getting Ready to Build. Getting Ready to Build. We've had three building projects here at this location, and each one began with careful planning, then a foundation was carefully laid, and then the building was built piece by piece. The church of Jesus Christ, particularly the local church, not just the church universal, but the local church, follows much the same concept, but in the spiritual realm. The plan used for building is found in the Bible, the Word of God. Now, there must be a unity of mindset and the working out of those truths to build successfully. Okay, God wants us to be a fruitful church, a vibrant church here at Northland. He wants us to be effective as a church. But that means many things, and today is very important because we're talking about foundational truths, but then starting next week, we're going to be talking about some very specific things that God has designed, and I think you'll be amazed, as I was amazed the first time I saw it in Scripture, understood it, on how perfect the plan of God is to accomplish His work. But it doesn't just happen. That's where we come in by the grace of God. So the church of Jesus Christ will be built, and God wants our local church to be part of that plan. And of course, the the plan is found in Scripture. There must be a unity, though, of mindset as we work these things out. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. We're just going to go quickly over these first few verses because we did them more in detail last week. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering and forbearing one another in love. Now, these are right attitudes that need to be in each of us as believers if we are going to be effective for Christ individually and also as a church, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And of course, we saw last week that God is the one who defines true unity and how it's supposed to be and what it is to be based on. It is on his terms, not ours. It's not up to us to do it. You know, people think, well, we live in America. We're going to start a church. And boy, do we have some ideas for our church. Man, our church is really going to be cool. Our church is going to be this. We're going to be innovative. We're going to wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. If you want to know how church is supposed to be, you need to get into the Bible. Don't Madison Avenue me with this stuff. God has given us the plan. You begin with Acts chapter 2, by the way, because Acts chapter 2 is where the church began, and you see the simple foundation that was laid in Acts chapter 2. And it's not complicated. But let me tell you something. There's not enough churches that resemble it today. The simplicity of purpose and the goals of the church. And then you go into Paul's epistles, and we see in Paul's epistles, basically it's it's a manual, it's a handbook for how church is supposed to be. You'll find nothing 
in there about being cool. Nothing in there about being cool. Everything in there about being godly. God is the one who defines true unity. It's on his terms, not ours. It cannot be based on opinions or views. It can only be based on scripture itself. The Bible is not trendy. The Bible is eternal. We don't get sucked into all these different trends that are going, well, this is the new trend. This is this trend. This is that trend. All these kind of stuff. No, the truth is eternal. I'm finding it very interesting that there are some, in speaking of contemporary Christian music, there are some who are considered very popular people, and I won't mention them by name, in contemporary Christian music who are now, they're writing hymns and they're actually calling and rebuking much of contemporary Christian music for the shallowness of the doctrine and the false doctrine even that is being written and sung in many contemporary churches today. You might say, really? Yeah, and guess what? We were doing that 30 years ago. See, because the truth of God doesn't change. The truth of God is eternal. And it all begins with the gospel. As we saw last week, if there is no agreement on what the gospel is, the plan of salvation, then how can you have real unity, or really anything else. And yet, you know what, folks? You can go to many churches, even here in our St. Cloud area, and you can ask a person, are you sure you're going to heaven when you die? Or what do you think is necessary to go to heaven? And you will get so much hodgepodge that is nowhere found in Scripture, or that is a false gospel based on man's works and not based on what Christ did on the cross for us. It's like, wait a minute. We're talking about the church. The church is supposed to be the body of Christ, and you're not in the body of Christ unless you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone as your Savior. Hold your place here and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. It begins with the gospel. This is the foundation. This is the door. This is the entryway into true Christianity. You want to be a true believer in Christ? a real one, a real believer, what does that mean? It's one who has trusted in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior. If you are trusting in Jesus and the way you live, you're not what the Bible would call a believer, because a believer is just a believer. Now, yes, once we're saved, God has a life for us to live, but the only way you're saved is through faith alone in Christ alone as your Savior. It's not a mixture of God's grace and faith in Christ and also our works. It's Jesus Christ and him alone that brings salvation. Romans 1.16 makes it clear. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The word gospel means good news. Now, what makes a good news? What makes a good news is this. Going to heaven's not based on my performance of how good a life I live or how many bad things I stay away from. Going to heaven is based on what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that, look at this, believeth. That's it. Not believes and is baptized, believes and confesses, believes and gives money, believes and reforms life, believes and keeps commandments, believes and has the right Bible, believes and is part of the denomination, believes and 
on and on and on. Look what it says. The simplicity unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So this is the foundation. Understanding this, we are sinners. We are sinners and therefore we are separated. Here we are. We're sinners and we are separated from God because of our sin. Yet the Bible tells us God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us and he wants everybody to live with him forever in heaven. But to get to heaven, your sin has to be gone. But we're sinners. If we die with it, we'll be lost forever. Now, religion says, oh, what Jesus did on the cross is important, but it's not enough. Or, no, we're not saved by what Jesus did. We're saved by what we do, pure works. But the Bible makes it clear our good works don't save us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, what does it say? Look at it. We have it up here permanently up here. So everybody who comes in sees it. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith is believing, by the way. Perfect harmony with Romans 1, 16. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, salvation's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. Your good works cannot save you in any way, shape, or form. Because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves. Helplessly, hopelessly lost. That is why Jesus came. Because we couldn't do it. He came to do it for us. And he did. He provided it. This represents him. The sinless son of God. He came. He took our sin on, on himself when he died on the cross. He paid our sin debt for us, leaving us nothing to pay for. He rose from the grave. And he says, if you will believe in him, you put your faith in him that he did that for you. The moment you do, he gives you as a gift everlasting life. Everlasting life? Everlasting, right? It means last forever. Everlasting. It's two words put together. Everlasting. Lasting ever. Forever life. The moment you believe. Well, yeah, but I think if you did something really, 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 really bad, you could lose it. Well, then what you had was not everlasting life. You had religion. No, when God saves, he only saves one way, forever. You become an eternal child of God the moment you trust in Christ as your Savior. Now, getting back to Ephesians chapter 4, there are some foundational truths that will produce unity. We've seen the attitude in verses 1 through 3 of the unity or the attitude we need to have, the harmony we need to have based on Scripture that produces unity. Now we see some foundational teachings that produce unity. For there is, look at verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called, in one hope of your calling. Let's quickly break these down. One body, what is that referring to? The true body of Christ. It's made up of all those who have trusted Christ alone as Savior. From Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, to the rapture of the church, whenever that is going to be. It is not a matter of denomination. It is a matter of where your faith is. If you've trusted Christ the Savior, you're saved. Now, when I say it's not a matter of denomination, that doesn't mean every denomination says what's right. It's not a matter of what a denomination says. It's a matter of what the Bible says. What the Bible says. There are some denominations, to be honest with you, almost everybody in that denomination is lost. Because if you hold to the beliefs of that denomination, those are false teachings. And you can't be saved that way. 
Other denominations, it's more of a mix of who's saved and who isn't saved. But denomination's not the issue. The one body is everybody who's trusted Christ the Savior. You're in Ephesians. Jump back with me to chapter 2 in verse 19. It says this, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. The idea is the family of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. You notice in verse 20, are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. It's not built on Peter, it's built on Jesus. The apostles then through their teaching, they showed us how to be based on Christ and how to build on Christ. But Jesus is the foundation. Again, it's not a matter of denomination. Now let's go back to Ephesians 4 and verse 4 again. There's one body. Secondly, there's one spirit. This speaks of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you this? If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. There's no such things that some of your charismatic Pentecostal denominations teach that you get saved, but then later on, through a second act of grace, you get the Holy Spirit. No, that's not true. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, it says this, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If when you got saved, you didn't get the Holy Spirit, you didn't get saved. Because upon believing, you received the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. When you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit came in our bodies the moment we trusted Christ. The Holy Spirit indwelt our bodies, and now he lives in the body of every child of God, everybody who has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. God has always had a place to live, right? Heaven, the tabernacle, the temple. Now where does he live? We are the temple now. He lives within believers. And if you're saved, he lives within you. And if he doesn't live within you, you're not saved. So there's one spirit. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. Number three, one hope of your calling. Again, the word hope means joyful anticipation. I believe this refers to the wonderful time when the Lord will come at the rapture and take us out of this world. I was talking to somebody before the service today. They were saying they just don't feel like they belong here anymore. Not at our church, but on earth. On earth. Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's something happening, don't you? I don't know, maybe you're, you're getting a little bit more homesick like I am. And when I say home, I'm talking about heaven. It's kind of like, I almost feel like, you know, some folks who are in the process of dying, they kind of start getting detached a little bit from this world. I don't know if you've noticed it. That happens to some folks. It's like they're going through a detachment, believers. It's like they've begun a little bit on their way to heaven. I kind of feel we're kind of in that realm a little bit as the body of Christ today. We know something's happening. We know we sense Jesus is coming soon. We are looking for him more than we ever have in our entire lives. That's the blessed hope. That's the joyful anticipation. This is a great motivation, by the way, 
for us in expecting the Lord at any moment. What did John say in 1 John chapter 3? He says, behold what manner of love, verse 1, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. By the way, believers should be able to say, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. I know I'm a child of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and if doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, the rapture, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then he says, and every man that hath this hope, same word as in Ephesians, this joyful anticipation in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Jesus could come back at any time. We should be living lives realizing that he could come back at any time. Are you joyfully anticipating the Lord? You know, I've heard some Christians say, well, you know what? I really, I'm having a good time. I really don't want him to come back anytime soon. It's like, man, you are spiritually sick. Our heart's desire should be to see Jesus. Now, listen, you might say, what about Paul? Paul had a desire to stay and to be with the Philippians. Yeah, but he also had a desire to depart and to be with Christ, Philippians chapter 1. There's nothing wrong with having both. Yeah, we want to stay in the sense of, yeah, I want to reach people. That's a driving force for wanting to stay alive as a Christian. But at the same time, it's really, it's a win-win, isn't it? If we are here and we're serving Christ as believers and we're sharing the gospel with people, that's exciting. That's a great life. But you know what? It's even going to be better once we get to be with the Lord in heaven. And when the rapture takes place, I like what one pastor said, for the believer, the rapture solves every problem you'll ever face. Wow. No wonder it's called the blessed hope. No wonder John said at the end of Revelation, even so, come Lord Jesus. Ephesians 4 verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now look at this. By the way, folks, You know, the most persecuted faith in the world is Christianity. Did you know that? Christianity. Do you know one of the reasons for that? You know why the persecution is getting more and more ratched up or or, uh, dialed up in our country and around the world against Christians? Do you know why? I'll tell you why. It's because the world is pushing for a one world church And we are saying there is no church except one, and it's based on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone is the foundation of the church, the true church, and any other church is a false religion. That's what Christianity teaches. Jesus said it, didn't he? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Whoa, you people are narrow-minded. Well, you can be narrow-minded if you're right. And that's not based on us. There's no boasting in that. It's based on what Jesus said. See, I've trusted him as my Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I know I'm going to heaven when I die, not because of what I do, but because of what he did for me on the cross. And he said, there's no other way to heaven but by him. Do you believe that or not? You need to believe that. If you think there's other ways, then you're believing in false religion or you're believing in yourself, which is works for salvation. Neither of those, false religion or works for salvation, will save you. 
It's only Christ. One Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church. He is God. Jesus Christ is God. God who took on flesh, the God-man. Nothing less than that. He is fully God, perfect man. That is who Jesus is. Okay, your cults come along, such as the Mormons, and they'll say, well, Jesus was not actually God. He's an angel of God, or he is a God, or whatever. That's blasphemy in light of Scripture, folks. You don't ever say things like, well, we agree with them on most things. Listen, the main things we don't agree on, and the Bible teaches contrary to Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness theology, Seventh-day Adventist theology, Many of the other ologies, Buddhism, Islam, you know, then the, the darts. Yeah. But you're just cause, trying to cause trouble and division and all this kind of stuff. Hey, if you're not tuned to the truth, you'll always be out of tune. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Folks, the exclusiveness of Christianity is what makes it such a persecuted faith. It's the exclusiveness of it. This was the issue in the first century church. Roman emperor, he was seen as a god. The Christians said, we will not worship him. Well, that was seen as insurrection. That was seen as blasphemy. That was seen as rebellion. And so Christians lost their lives. North Korea, I talked about this, by the way, Wednesday night. You can get the message. It's not... They're not videoed, but they are recorded. But we talked about the persecution around the world, okay? There's at least 52 nations of the world right now, right now, that if you own a Bible, you're either going to be thrown in jail for it or you're going to be killed for it if you own a Bible. 52 nations. Number one is North Korea. And by the way, the vast majority of the top 10 or 12 of those nations, almost all of them are Muslim nations. Almost all of them. I'm not making this up. This is the way it is. One Lord, Ephesians 2.20, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. One faith. What is that? That means one body of truth. Where is that truth found? It's found in the Bible. It's not found in religious dogma or catechisms, okay, of one kind or another, whether it's a Catholic catechism or the Westminster catechism. Neither of them is the authority. This is the authority right here. Both catechisms have error and false teaching in them. Both teach works for salvation, by the way. One faith. Anything the Word of God says clearly is part of the faith. Again, this begins with the gospel and salvation by grace, This would also include eternal security. See, why is that? Because if you're not saved forever, then Jesus didn't pay for all of your sin. And you are basing your eternal destiny on how you behave. If you can lose your salvation, you're basing your eternal destiny on how you behave, which is works for salvation. People say, well, I think, you know, if I could... No, 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 you're, you're, you're safe forever, you're safe forever. Really? I was talking many years ago to an Assemblies of God pastor. We were on TV for 18 years here in St. Cloud. A lot of people don't know that. It's called Truth for Living. After my program, the Assemblies of God pastor would come on because it was public access, which was free. And he came on. He says, I'd like to talk to you sometime about what you say because we don't 
what you're saying, we don't, we don't believe what you're saying that, you know, we, we think we can lose our salvation. So, oh, really? You no. Know, we don't think we can lose your salvation. Really? I thought you can lose your salvation. No, no. No, once you put your faith in Christ, you're saved. Oh, really? So there's nothing you could do to ever, ever to lose your salvation. No, there's nothing. I mean, literally, there's nothing you could do. No matter how far away you walked away from God, there's nothing you could do to ever lose your salvation. Well, this went on, by the way, for about five minutes. And he finally said, well, if you really walked away from God, you would be giving your salvation back, basically. I said, so you do believe you can lose it once you have it. Well, it's not losing it, it's giving it back. It's all works. It's all works. Listen, I'm as saved as saved can be. I couldn't be lost if I wanted to be lost because Jesus saved me. He keeps me. And see, what does that do to me? It doesn't make me want to go out and live a wicked life. It makes me love him more. And I want to please him, not because I have to, but because I love him. This is how it works. One faith, Jude 1, verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. This is it. By the way, this is why you need to be very careful about new Bibles, because new Bibles are adding all kinds of stuff to the text of Scripture. That's just not in the text. It's amazing how much is in the new Bibles that is not actually in the Bible text itself. Why do you do that? Well, we do it to make it easy to read. Yeah, but you're putting that before what God said. Not smart. One baptism. What is it? Well, seeing the rest of the passage refers to our spiritual standing in Christ. I believe that the baptism here is most likely speaking about spiritual baptism, not water baptism. However, let me, seeing I've been so narrow-minded so far and rigid in this message, let me just say this, that as far as water baptism, biblically speaking, there's only one kind of water baptism, and it's by immersion. Nothing else pictures what Jesus Christ did for us through the gospel. Sprinkling does not do it. Remember as a kid running through sprinklers. Some of you would get wet and some of you wouldn't get wet, right? Some of your body would get wet, some of it wouldn't. Now, yeah, if you do it enough times, you get soaked, but no, 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 no. When you trust Christ as Savior, just like he died You died when you trusted Christ as Savior, okay? You were buried, and you rose from the grave. And water, you look at the water, it's like you're completely washed, immersed. You're immersed. All your sins are washed away. Now, water baptism doesn't save from hell. We know that. But it's a picture of what Christ has done for us, the death, burial, resurrection, okay? And you're completely covered, completely covered. Immersion's the only thing that does that nothing else. What about sprinkling? No, it doesn't do it. That's hit and miss. Okay. What about pouring? You, know, you just get a little bit on there. What about spitting? I mean, no, no, I'm just kidding. No, that, that doesn't do it either. Immersion. Immersion. One baptism, but we're talking about spiritual baptism. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. 
Baptism is a form of identification with Christ, right? Number seven, one God. Wow, who would think this would be controversial? One God and Father of all. Who is that God? It's the God of the Bible. Verse six, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Let me show you a scripture I don't know that we've ever looked at as as a church before, okay? But it's powerful. Hold your place here. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 45. Look with me to verse 21. Isaiah 45, 21. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord... And there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. He says he's the only true God and he's the only Savior. And there aren't any others beside him. That sounds a lot like what Jesus said in John 14, doesn't it? No one comes to the Father but by me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. See, folks, the uniqueness of Christianity is its exclusiveness. Between that and the fact that it's not based on works, those two things make Christianity completely unique. And we have a risen Savior. Those three things. There may be more, but those three for sure. Make it unique. One God and Father of all. The all here in the context refers to believers in Christ. God is not the Father of all people. Only those who put their faith in Christ are the children of of God. Let's jump down to verse 7, Ephesians 4, 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Everyone receives grace. When God's grace comes, God's enablings come. God's grace enables us to do his work. So there is no excuse for the Christian to not fulfill the ministry that the Lord has given him or her. And now we come to a few verses. I want you to listen very carefully. There's different interpretations of these verses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you what I believe they're referring to. I think this is the most accurate of them. But it's a very unique passage of Scripture, and it's linked very much to the Old Testament and also to the Gospel of Luke. Ephesians 4, 8, it says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity Captive. I think the ascending up on high refers to when Jesus was resurrected. It says he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Those gifts are talked about after this little section here in Ephesians. And uh, those gifts are to build his church. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Hmm. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, there's different ideas on what this is referring to. I want you to hold your place here. I want you to look with me to Luke chapter 16. And I'm just going to read the passage, and then I will comment on it. Luke chapter 16 gives us the story. I believe it's a real story. It's not a parable. It's interesting. Most of your old commentators said this is a fact. This is not a parable. Most of your new commentators say it's a parable. Okay, they've softened their position on this. I don't think we need to soften it. Jesus in the parables, he doesn't give 
people's specific names. Here in this passage, he names at least one of them by name. And it says in Luke 16, 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, must have been from Minnesota, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. This is not the same one, by the way, where Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. This is somebody else. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Only dogs would do that. Cats would bite. Verse 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, this is the Greek word Hades. This is the Old Testament equivalent to Sheol. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now is he comforted and thou art tormented. And besides all this, watch this now, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And so what is this referring to? Well, evidently there is a place below the earth and that place we would call it Hades or Sheol. All right. Now, when we think of in our Bible in the New Testament, it will usually translate it as hell. There's several words translated as hell. But listen carefully. When we think about somebody going to Hades or hell, or let me put it this way, going to Hades, we usually think it's lost people. Here's what I think the scriptures are teaching. Before the death of Christ, both the saved and the lost went to Hades. Not Saved and lost did not suffer there. Both of them did not suffer there. There seems to be, if I'm understanding Scripture properly, that there is a paradise side of this place called Hades or hell. Okay, at the time now, remember this, what we're talking about. There's a paradise side. It's also called Abraham's bosom. Then there is a gulf between them. So there's a space in ex- where you can't get from one side to the other. And there's the torment side. This is where lost people go who have not trusted Christ as Savior. Before the cross, before Jesus died on the cross, believers would die. They would go to Abraham's bosom or they would go to paradise. On the other side of the gulf, there was torment. When lost people died, this is where they would go and they would be suffering with hellfire. And I think this is what it is referring to. But this space was divided into the place of torments and Abraham's bosom also called paradise. Remember what Jesus said, by the way, to the thief on the cross that believed? He told him that he would be with them that day. He would be with him that day in paradise. He didn't say in heaven. He said paradise. You might say, well, they're, they're the same. Well, here's what happened. One of the accomplishments of the resurrection was to lead captivity captive. I think that's referring to the believers 
who had died before Jesus died. This is where they were. They were captive in a sense. When Jesus died, he descended. He took them. By the way, Jesus did not suffer in hell. Like many of your Pentecostals teach that Satan tortured Jesus in hell. Nowhere in the Bible. Jesus descended. He led them. They were captive. He led captivity captive. And he took them then to heaven. Now, when people die, believers die, I should say, where do they go? They go to heaven. They don't go to paradise or Abraham's bosom. They go to heaven now. And paradise, that is where paradise is now, is in heaven. Lost people, when they die, they still go to hell or Hades, and there they suffer. Again, one of the accomplishments of the resurrection was to lead captivity captive. That is to take the Old Testament saints from Abraham's bosom, which is Hades, part of Hades, and lead them to heaven. And again, today everyone goes to heaven. By the way, this is not a unique teaching with There's many, many Bible teachers who believe this. A late Dr. Mark G. Cameron, in his classic book, Bible Doctrines, he said this, and I quote, When Christ arose from the dead, he led captivity captive, Ephesians 4, 8. Christ emptied Hades, or in the Old Testament, Sheol, of all the righteous and took them and paradise with him to glory. Paradise was at one time in the heart of the earth. Now it is in the third heaven, unquote. And I think that's what it's referring to. And then back to Ephesians chapter 4, it says in verse 11, after this passage, he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 11 goes with verse 8. Jesus, you see, had to conquer sin, death, and hell, and be victorious before he could build his church. This is what it's getting at. He had to conquer death, he had to conquer hell, and he had to be victorious before he could build his church. He did conquer those things, and he is the captain of our salvation today, and he is building his church. And we're going to talk more about the mechanics of that starting next week. I know I gave you a lot today, But um, this is a very interesting study. We didn't have time to cover every verse on this, obviously. It's interesting, though, that David said, Thou shalt not leave my soul in Sheol, right? David knew that there was a day coming when that situation would be changed. That situation was changed by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you do that today? God is offering you, as I mentioned earlier, There's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. He's offering you eternal life as a gift. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.